0: Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
1: Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Building the skill sets, what takes a really long time, but building the show was a matter of go on as many podcasts as possible so that people know where I am, what I'm doing, what I'm interviewing, you know, the mission of the Jordan Harbinger show, all the things we're discussing. And then it's buy a crap ton of placements, ads, things like that to grow and any sort of digital footprint. But honestly, I've gotten just as much, if not more of an audience by going on other people's shows. And then they're like, Hey, this guy's kind of interesting. I wonder what the Jordan Harbinger show is like. That's the best form of advertising. So if you can't spend $400,000 a year, or half a million dollars a year, whatever it is on ads, don't worry. You can build your show by going on other shows. That's how most people build their shows anyways. So it's not magic and like a lot of people think that building a business is is some sort of magical journey and in a way it is but really once you get product market fit it's about getting people to freaking realize that it exists and then and then you're you know you're halfway
0: there what's up guys welcome to the greatness machine i'm your host darius mishaz and i'm so pumped to have you here with me now listen the greatness machine is about two things Number one, people are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world. Doing both of these despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews of world-class speakers and business leaders showcasing their origin story. What made them tick? What got them to where they are now? So it can help you step into your greatness within your own life, business, and career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years in entrepreneurship as a CEO to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation and messages, and I'm stoked to have you guys here. Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mashadze, and boy, do we have a special guest today. My main man, Jordan Harbinger, on the mic. What's up, brother?
1: How you doing, man? You, you know, you, you're lazy with your own last name. Like it's, it, to me, it looks like Mir Shazade, but you just said like Mir Shazade, you just like, you just kind of slathered it out there. You don't even try.
0: I just like, it just rolls. Yeah. You didn't even, you didn't even put any effort into that. No. Blah, blah. And man, here we are. But um, that's the, I always like to give a little bit of the origin story of like how this came to be, mm-hmm. but I want to give your formal background. Do you mind if I do that?
1: Go for it. Yeah, sure.
0: Dude, I like it's. This is you have you have kind of a you have a ridiculous background. Like it's it's. I was I a mean, weird kid. I'm a weird adult, but I was even more of a weird kid. Dude, I was a super weird kid too. We have that in we have a few things common. Like you have a little bit of mortgage experience, mortgage backed securities. Right. I came from the mortgage industry, but yeah, man. Um, Hailing from the great state of Michigan, I saw that. I love Michigan. I got I got peeps in Birmingham, Jordan. Oh, that's
1: where I'm from. That's so funny.
0: No way. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, the Townsend Hotel all freaking day. Baby. <laughs> yeah. Sweeping the lobby, maybe. I couldn't afford to stay there growing up, that's for sure. Um, I um, I owned an, an ad agency for a hot minute, and they're in Birmingham. Actually, they're in Bingham Farms now. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I used to go up there all the time. I, I They're such good people in the state of Michigan. I really like salt of the earth.
1: I didn't notice that until I moved to other states, and then I was like, why are people dicks for no reason? And yeah. then, you know, you get used to it like when you go to New York and you're like, oh, okay, they're not dicks, they're just really honest. And then you move to LA and you're like, they're yeah. not honest and their dicks? Yeah. no, these people are just bad. This is just not great. People, Hollywood, specifically, yeah. I was like, I, I'll hard pass on on living here any longer. The yeah, worst,
0: NorCal. The worst. I grew so I grew up in Southern California. I'm Persian, which is like mm-hmm. basically like little Iran. Yeah, and then and then I moved to San Francisco and lived there for seventeen years, and now I live in Austin, Texas. Mm. So, but I will say, man, some of my favorite people in the world—all Michigan people. So I, I I love seeing that about you, dude.
1: That, that's uh, like one of the common patterns right now is wherever you know grow up wherever and then move to san francisco and then move to austin because san francisco is so poorly run and like yeah. there's
0: literal feces everywhere <laughs> yeah it, it, dude i i moved to san francisco 2001 i didn't take the detour you took which is going to new york which mm-hmm. i freaking love new york but i went to san francisco 2001 like fresh out of college lived there till 17 and then i was just fucking over it and i was like mm-hmm. get me out of here my wife's family lived in austin and i'm like And I'd been going there since Oh four. And I'm like, dude, that place is so cool. Yeah. And it it was like, and by 13, I'm like, I'm out. I'm moving to Austin. It took me a few years for business reasons, but yeah, man, this place like Austin is like what San Francisco was 15 years ago. That's what I Yeah.
1: That's, that's kind of what I figured. I wanted to move to Austin a long time ago, but I I can't because my wife's family lives here. And so we're building houses here and stuff like that. And also since I'm uh, essentially my business has one employee and then a bunch of contractors, it's, it's okay for now. Yeah. But I don't blame most people for moving, especially if you can like run
0: your company somewhere else. Dude, I will say that. Yeah. And and it's funny. I mean, even given the business you're in of, you know, doing radio and podcasting, I mean, th- this is like a hub for podcasting. Definitely. Right this is like like it's crazy who's coming here right now. So, I mean, Joe Rogan just came here and there's a bunch of other people here right now and i and i i mean i came just cuz for family and then now i'm like wow this is i kind of feel like i keep telling people this i'm like i feel like austin's the center of the universe right now and mm-hmm. i i don't i mean obviously i live here so i'm biased but i i mean tesla just came here i think samsung's coming here apple's you know building a campus here i mean there's a reason why all these people keep choosing austin
1: yeah yeah, so, yeah. i think it's, it's it's only a matter of time i mean you buy buy property that's the moral of the story buy as much property as you can afford right now in austin texas
0: Yeah, I I was telling some friends who I'm in a CEO forum that's in San Francisco, and they they came out here for a forum retreat. And I said, I feel like, it feels expensive because it's gone up like crazy here over the last like 5 or 10 years I said I feel like this is like saying like Silicon Valley was expensive in 1981 yeah you're like oh it's so expensive in, 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 in Woodside yeah
1: like, $300 per square foot get out of here
0: I'm not paying
1: that imagine when it's 4,000 bucks a foot yeah. yeah yeah it's like 60 bucks a month for parking
0: that's ridiculous
1: yeah out of your
0: know, you're out of your fucking mind
1: yeah exactly my parking spot in san francisco was 550 dollars.
0: no dude yeah. I, own, I own an apartment building there and i charge for tandem parking 500 bucks that's where they yeah. got to like move their cars to yeah. back, back out you know <laughs> so ridiculous well, uh, but it, i will say this man it's getting like a lot cheaper there with covid right now so we'll see we'll see if that key i don't think it'll stick i think it's going to go away pretty quick but right now it's cheap so get on it if you can mm. Dude, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna read through your bio, and then I wanted to say a few things. So, so Jordan's an American lawyer. I think recovering lawyers, probably. I mean, yeah. right. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a recovering CEO. You're definitely a recovering lawyer. Turned turn dy- social dynamics expert and entrepreneur. Jordan interviews world's top performers from legendary musicians to intelligent operatives, iconoclastic writers to visionary change makers at the Jordan Harbinger Show. And dude, 11 million downloads a month. What The fuck. <laughs> <That's-> <laughs> That's amazing. (laughs) You were about to say that's bullshit, but that's funny. No, that's this guy. Yeah, I'm pissed. (laughs) I only get like two downloads. Uh, No, uh, and dude, five languages. That that that's just. (laughs) Are they real languages?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, when I was young, I grew up speaking English, as you can maybe tell. And then I moved to Germany when I was in high school as an exchange student, but I ended up in the former East Germany. So the whole like, oh, don't worry, everyone speaks English. I got there and people were like, dude, we speak Russian and German. And then like some people speak basic English, but it wasn't like in West Germany when I went there for visits and everyone spoke English and was like anxious to practice their English. I was the only American they'd ever met. So I basically just didn't, I had to sp- learn German. I just, it was either have no friends and not do anything for a whole year or learn German. And I, I quickly was like, I can't keep swimming upstream. So I learned German and it, it turned out really well. It turned out I had a, a thing for languages. And then after that, I moved, I started studying Russian, which I don't speak anymore. And I moved to Ukraine for a minute came out had pretty decent like basic russian and then i moved to a country called serbia which in the former yugoslavia yeah, yeah, yeah. and i worked there for over a year and so i learned serbian but then i also forgot it really quickly for some reason because i never got to that point where i got with my german where i was like able to basically dream in it it never really happened with serbian because there was a lot of english there yeah yeah. and and then uh as i got back i was like oh i'm pretty good at languages what else should i study and i thought about russian and then decided, you know, I was going to North Korea at the time, like on and off, like every six months. Yeah, why not? Because as one does. And I was like, I'm going to learn Korean. And then I started taking Korean classes in in LA. And I remember the teacher said, yeah, it's a really hard language. The only harder language than Korean is Chinese. And I was like, maybe I'll just switch to Chinese. Because if I learn Korean, I can speak to like 40 million Koreans. Right. South Koreans. And, you know, because North Koreans aren't even on the internet. So just forget Uh it. So I was like, all right, 40 million. And then I was like, oh, let me Google how many people speak Chinese. Holy moly, 1.3 billion and probably gonna double in our lifetime. Like, okay, this is not even a, it's not even like... It's foolish of me to invest in Korean as a hobby language when there's Chinese and it's the same level of difficulty. Slash, actually, it's way harder, which they don't tell you. Right. But because of the symbols, the symbol, uh, the characters and everything. Yeah, total bait
0: and switch. Total bait and switch.
1: Yeah, it's total bait and switch. But I started learning Chinese, and then I was like, "This is not, you know, I'm doing it, and I'm invested enough." And then I just kept learning it. And then I thought about quitting because I was like, how much of this do I really need? It's taking forever. And then I met my wife whose family speaks Chinese. And I was like, eh, this may come in handy. And now it's been like eight years. So I'm, I'm pretty good at Mandarin at this point. I can read, I can write. And I'm like, right. so now, now I'm at the point where I'm like, God, there's so much effort here. But it's like, am I going to quit after eight years? Hell oh, no. Like, even if you hate something, you'd have to hate something to quit. And I don't hate Chinese. It's, it just takes a
0: lot of time. Yeah, you know? but, but I mean, at least you get like, I mean... At the reality is what one fifth of the world speaks it so yeah you're, you're golden there you know plus,
1: plus i gotta tell you it never gets old busting out some chinese when chinese people are around and watching yeah. their heads explode because they never see it
0: like <laughs> hey dude hey bust bust some chinese for us
1: uh xinyan kuai le it means a uh, happy new year because it's chinese new year right oh yeah,
0: yeah all right awesome yeah
1: awesome. or like you can you can say anything like somebody will say like uh and, and look even ordering food which is basic in any language, you can be like, uh, yeah, I'll have the Kung Pao chicken, or like, you know, please give me the Kung Pao chicken, or give me a can of Coca-Cola. And they'll just be like, what? That's so good. And and you're thinking, you know, why did I read this article in Newsweek in Mandarin Chinese yesterday if all I needed to blow your mind was like ordering a Diet Coke or a can of Coke at this restaurant? Because like my Chinese teachers are like, no, dummy, the word is... Uh, you know, timing or what you know, the word is reconciliation. And I'm like, oh, I gotta remember that one. Meanwhile, yeah. the waiter is like, Coca-Cola, which what? is coca. Yeah, it's like really easy. So like the 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 uh, the words that don't sound like English, they just are blown like people get blown away by the fact because there's just not that many non-chinese that speak chinese there just aren't anywhere so, in the world
0: I uh, dude i i so listen i've and this is yours is way more extreme but my wife looks like pretty much like a light blonde light brunette version of you like as a female uh, this is a really good getting weird it's a weird analogy yeah, yeah. yeah i'm really good, but she's like white right like she's okay. like a, a white person mm-hmm. and, and she's got fair skin and kind of fair features um and she's but she speaks like with a freaking like gnarly accent Spanish. She lived in, in Mexico. Her mom's me- Mexican. You like, but you look at her, she looks like a like kind of like white person, right? But she rocks Spanish hard. And when she speaks it, dude, I see what you're talking. I've seen the look you're talking about. People are like, what the fuck? So I I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that's hilarious though. You're like learning all the hard stuff. Oh, we got Johnny T. Two pretty sharp guys right there. Pretty sure Jordan's a fellow Seaholm Maple. I know
1: John Tallinger. Yeah, dude, that's dude. funny.
0: <laughs> that's so. What a small world. Yeah, he's he's a, he's an old friend, and uh, we had Nick Peterson. This should be on Clubhouse. Nick, come on. And Tiffany asked Jordan, "How many languages do you know?" We we just went over that cinco, right? Mm, somebody uh, was late to the show. Come on, <laughs> that's my assistant. We got to be nice. And <laughs> but yeah, man. Um, that's so that's so badass. I I love I love the, the 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 brain explosion. You're like I'm just gonna learn basic shit. Like where's the bathroom and can I get a glass of water? You know mm-hmm. I'm gonna learn those things. You know what? You you, you uh, that's a hack. I'm gonna learn five sentences in Chinese and I'm gonna go rock them next time I go to get dim sum. I think they're
1: gonna be super super blown away. Like no no one no one at a restaurant is ever like hmm does he really know Chinese? Let me ask him a complex question. They're just impressed. They they don't even try to like you know, test you or anything. Whereas I think, you know, if you look like you're supposed to speak a language, it's really yeah. unfair. So all my, my Asian friends, and I have plenty now uh, out here in California, as you might imagine, they're like, man, this is so unfair, Jordan, because I'll go and order Kung Pao chicken or something and then be like, your restaurant is really nice, whatever. And they'll have a full blown conversation with the waitress and she's not impressed at all. And the guy's like, dude, I was born in San Francisco. My parents, you know, I majored in Chinese in college. I have worked for a decade to be able to speak this way. It's like a Korean guy, doesn't even, you know, but they're just like, yeah, you better speak Chinese, Asian. Like even Chinese people are like, you you know, Chinese. And it's like, I'm Korean, I'm I'm Vietnamese, whatever. (laughs) But if I do it, people are like, holy shit, this is amazing. Look at that guy speak that language. That's Uh, not English.
0: All the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through. But then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn and, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear, uses directed. I'm you know I'm going to do I'm going to do like a derivative sentence like hey can I get my ice can I get my water without ice like yeah. something where it's like not like not way basic. not normal not basic yeah I'm going to learn something really fucked up to say Oh man that's that's incredible So hon so why the hell did you go to east did you go to Berlin
1: uh, no, I was, so when you're an exchange student, you think I'm going to Berlin, it's going to be amazing. No, you never go to, it's like all those Europeans, French people that come in the, the United States and like, yeah, I want to go to New York or Chicago. And yeah. it's like, bro, no, you're going to want- be on a farm in Montana. <laughs> if you're lucky, <laughs> if, if you're lucky, people aren't going to be like swamp creatures that just have you there for manual labor. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I originally got placed on a farm and I said, I'm not going. And they were like, look, man, everyone gets placed on a farm. And I was like, then I'm not going to go. And, and the exchange, exchange organization was like you suck this guy sucks
0: oh you did suck yeah because you're not supposed to do that well I would I would have done that I'm not going to work on a farm hell no hell no no. No.
1: and and also like small town village life sucks anywhere In, in in America in Germany it's very similar there's 10 kids in the neighborhood. They're all in each other's business. None. You're not interested in anyone romantically. They're never doing anything except for the same, you know, they're all smoking in some barn, like all all the time. And they're bored because you can't ever do anything. And you're three hours away from the next town. So everyone takes a train in and then like drinks at a bar and comes home and you're like, my life is so boring. But I, I, um, since I said no, they were like, well, you're not necessarily going to get a family placement and not go. And I was like, fine. And my parents were not happy because they were like, well, what happens if you don't go? You're just got to like go to senior year. And I was like, yeah, I'll just be a senior. Like, I don't care. Cause I skipped my senior year. That was the the thing right. that I I'd skipped for. And luckily a few, a few months before going or a few weeks, can't remember now, I got placed in this like mid-sized town that was not a suburb, but it was in, it was a city with like a couple hundred thousand people. So I was like, all right, great. Yeah. And it just happened to be in the former East. And I kind of knew that it wasn't going to be. They were like, we got to warn you. There's 42 or there's 47 exchange students in Germany. 44 of them are in West Germany. Three of you are in the former East Germany. One guy's in, you know, Ber- Berlin. One guy's in like Magdeburg, which is like a capital of some state basically like being in Lansing. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And then, and then I'm in Halle, which is like a Detroit ish type city. And they're like, it's the former East. It's not super like the city that you're in is famous for like chemicals and like things like that. And I'm like, Oh, okay, whatever. But I went and it was like, it was not a super great place to live in terms of a city. I loved it. My friends are awesome. My host family there is awesome. I'm still in touch with everyone. But like, it was kind of like the Detroit. It was a city that where it was like kind of on a downward slide, whereas the rest of the whole country was kind of on an upward, you know, going up. And they were improving things, but the improvements were like, oh yeah, it's so nice because when I was younger, the trees were all gray because there was a chemical residue on all of them from Hmm. the manufacturing plant nearby. And it's cool. Like there's so many colors now. And I'm like, that's the improvement we're looking at here. I was hoping for like, <laughs> fiber optic internet or whatever—I don't know, yeah. like whatever—I was hoping for was certainly not the fact that like the trees aren't gray. You
0: yeah, know? The half-life of the nuclear activity here is not quite as bad as. Yeah, you
1: I mean, this like for people that don't know, former East Germany was part of the. It was a Soviet satellite state. And it was like right. a brutally, brutally repressive regime yeah. with the Stasi, which are these secret police that were kind of like Gestapo uh, but communist. And it was one of the most. It was sort of like north korea-ish in terms of the repression on its citizenry it was bad and so like i met people that like had scars and they i was like what are these from and they were from like you know getting burned with acid from like working in a factory that had no safety you know stuff like that or like people that had lost relatives trying to escape because there was a border with landmines i mean it was like no joke So, but I loved it there because it was so different, but it took me a long time to kind of get over the fact that I was in a place with like skinheads, you know what I mean? And like neo-Nazis and crazy people like that. But I I had an awesome, awesome family that I'm still in touch with. And it was, it was one of those sort of like do or die situations. It was like, go home and just be done with this place or like go all in and be like YOLO. You're only here once. Like you can't. Sit here and whine about how the food's not the same, or like you you know you you don't like your the the posters in your whatever the like BS that teenagers complain about. right I had to sort of like be like, no, I'm doing this. I'm going to learn German. I'm going to work hard, and I did, and it was so worth it. It was such a rewarding experience.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, it, like for people that don't remember, there was a song by Scorpions, "The Winds of Change," which was about the falling of the wall that happened. Yeah. Like, it, I mean, it was a big deal when that happened. Yeah, um, that's that's crazy. And, and you know, so you were what, 17 when, when you were there, right?
1: Yeah, I was 17. Yeah.
0: yeah. I and mean, was that the first time you had done anything international traveling by yourself?
1: No, uh, wait. Yeah. By myself. Oh, certainly. Yeah. So I think the reason I decided to go on the exchange originally was I, when I was in middle school, I was kind of bored. I was getting in trouble. I was doing like a lot of bad stuff. Like I was doing like credit card fraud and stuff. Not like Jordan wrote his name with a Sharpie on the stall in the bathroom. It was like I was ordering like electronic parts and cellular phone stuff off of like catalogs with credit card numbers that weren't real, you know, like bad, bad. And then I was, my parents were like, all right, he's, he needs to get straightened out. But that summer, my best friend was leaving for like a month. And I was like, my parents were like, oh my God, he's going to get in so much trouble if he's like left to his own devices. Ah, And 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 my best friend was going to Europe with his mom. And then they were like, why don't you come with us? And I was like, that sounds great. And my mom's like, they don't really want you to go with them. Come on. But they did. And I went and I remember being like, wait a minute, we're allowed to have a beer and be normal and like go do stuff on our own in Rome because we went to France, Italy, and Germany. And we were, I I remember like, my you know, your parents and when you're growing up in freaking Michigan, your parents, when you're fourteen or thirteen years old or fourteen, however old we were, they're not like, sure, just come back to the hotel by eight PM. But I'm in Rome. There's hundreds oh, there's thousands of teenagers from all over the world sitting on the Spanish steps and in and, and yeah. you know, down to like the middle of Rome. And I remember my friend's mom's like, I'm gonna go look at jewelry. I know you guys don't want to do that. So just meet up for dinner at seven PM.
0: And, and, and how wait, you were fourteen? I'm a 14. Oh, that's right? amazing. That's awesome.
1: And we meet these Italian guys in our hotel that are like playing super Nintendo or something. And we're like, Hey, we're going to go out. And they're like, yeah, we're going to go out. Let's play street fighter. So we played street fighter for like an hour. And then we're like, Hey, we're not from Rome. We kind of want to see what's going on. And they're like, let's just all go out. So these guys that didn't barely speak any English took us to like bars. We're like watching soccer games. We started playing hacky sack and we started chatting up girl. And I was like, this is the time of my life right now. And so I, and then I go back to Michigan where like, you're 16 you have your own car and your mom's like be home at 8 p.m. and you're like cool there's literally nothing to fucking do anyway right? Right, right so and john Tallinger, who's hopefully still watching knows what i'm talking about right yeah. you're, like, you're just you're going to like one parking lot to another to see who's standing in the parking lot smoking and you're like yeah, this go like to, this
0: sucks go to taco bell and get into a fight
1: yeah that, dude so accurate no yeah. one has any money let's just get into a fight right exactly we're <laughs> just straight up bored so I was like, I need to get back to doing European things because that's everyone there is having a billion times more fun really living life. In America, the values just didn't make any sense. Like, we were all being treated like kids because, and then we were acting like kids because we were being babied, whereas in Europe, they're like, try not to get anyone pregnant. And then somehow you're like, oh, okay, it's actually not that hard because I've got all these friends doing things that aren't just like doing drugs and staying at home and trying not to get caught. Totally. So, so I decided to go on a foreign exchange because again, in high school, I was literally like the one driving around from one parking lot to another. And I I told my girlfriend at the time, I'm going to get in trouble again. I just know. it. I like feel it coming on, you know? And she goes, you know, what, you, what are you going to do? And I go, I don't know, you know, maybe graduate early. And she goes, by the way, I'm leaving for boarding school. I'm going to go to boarding school in Norway because I hate going to school in Michigan. So she left and she's like, you should go too. And I was like, Let me stop you right there. Your mom's a senator. My mom's not going to be like, my parents aren't going to be like sending me to boarding school in Norway for $25,000 or $40,000 a year or whatever. Like not happening. So she goes, well, why don't you be an exchange student? And I said, yeah, that sounds fun. She's like, here's the catalog that my mom has in her office because she's a senator and they send her this crap and she's supposed to go to schools and talk about it. She just gave it to me. And I was like, you're telling me I can look through this book of different countries And pick a place to go to and just go there for a year. And she's like, yeah, that's how exchanges work. So I picked Israel. My parents were like, no way. They're blowing each other up over there. And then I picked Hong Kong and they were like, no way. China's taking over. And last time communists took over a country, they built a wall and they didn't let anyone out ever. So hell no, dude. And then I was like, all right, fine. So I basically said somewhere in Europe, is that going to fly? And she's like, great. I didn't like French. I didn't want to go to Australia or the UK because they spoke English and it didn't make any sense. I think I basically just spun the globe and hit Germany or spun spun the European map anyway and hit Germany. And, and that's how I ended up there. And it, like I said, it, it was definitely the most rewarding experience of my life. And now I realize like, you really, as a kid who's precocious or whatever the word is, you have to get out and do stuff. I am a firm believer that there are huge numbers of people that are in prison right now, because they were straight up, like not challenged. And so they started a business doing something that got them in trouble. And then they went to jail. Like, I'm not talking about violent crime, but when I, when I do work in prisons, there are guys in there that are like in there for various types of fraud. And I'm like, bro, you were literally just bored 100%. You're so smart. You should have been an engineer.
0: Totally. Yeah. Like, do you do like defy or do you do hustle 2.0?
1: Yeah. yeah. Hustle 2.0, Defy. Yeah, i done both, actually.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I know Cat Hoke. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was supposed to do Hustle 2.0, and my plane from New York got freaking canceled. I had to sleep on the floor of Terminal 4 and JFK. It was the worst. Gross. But yeah. yeah, it was so gross, and it sucked because I missed my trip for Hustle 2.0. But – Anyhow, uh, John Tallinger says, Don't ask why I still live in Michigan, Jordan. No,
1: <laughs> no. why? You know, what? it's probably here's the thing. I'm sure it's fine when you're an adult. The problem is, and I guess this is probably true for literally anywhere you live at this age, but in America, I should say, in America, ages, let's say 14, 13, 14, up to 18, you're treated like a fucking baby.
0: Yeah.
1: But you have a mind of a really immature adult that wants to go learn and explore things, and everyone's like, nah, just memorize this verb table of Spanish or French verbs, and also a bunch of dates in history, and, and, you know, we're gonna take no field trips and there's not going to be anything hands-on and you're going to have to be in class with some of the dumbest people that you know and, you know, even if you're right. smart. And then you've got to work really hard because you have to get into a good college and then go into... So, like, you don't feel like you have anything to look forward to that's right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And so you spend high school just being like, whatever. And if if you're an adult, I'm sure it's fine. There's a lot of things going on everywhere. But I, I, I see this even here in California. I see kids, like, smoking in front of a 7-Eleven and I go, there's just nothing for them to do. Like, there's just nothing for them to do. So I'm a firm believer that, like, I've got to figure out what to do with my kid. He's only 18 months old now. But when when he's old enough, I'm like, we got to get this kid out of the rigmarole of, like, going to and from meaningless courses, because it it just drains your ambition and your brain. And it just it's such a time in your life where most kids, I think, need way more stimulation than they were getting uh,
0: in high school. Are you guys enjoying the show so far? Darius here, and by now you might know that I'm passionate about a few things. Pizza, pink unicorns, core values, and down, dirty, interesting conversation with some amazing people. However, the biggest one that I've spent most of my career on is entrepreneurship and scale. You see, look, my first few years in business, I spent like probably a good five years of my life getting my freaking teeth kicked. I mean, really getting crushed. And I learned a lot during that time period. So I spent the greater part of the last couple of years helping entrepreneurs scale their businesses in a meaningful way without going through the same growing pains that I did. And what I realized is that CEOs and business leaders don't know if they can scale and thus they do the right thing at the wrong times. This causes them to lose clarity, lose momentum, alignment, and the bottom line is you lose money. And look, you don't have to do that. It's why I created what I call the scalability assessment. And you can access it 100% for free. That's right, guys. There are perks to listening to the greatness machine. All you have to do is go to dariusscale.com. That's D-A-R-I-U-S scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And there, you can check to see if your business is set up to scale properly. It's going to give you a scalability score at the end. And it's also going to give you some clarity on what you can do next. Once again, guys, that's www.itsdariusscale.com. Once again, guys, it's dariusscale.com. And now, back to the show. Well, when you look at like um, – I was just thinking – you're having me think like – like was it Alexander Ham- Hamilton like 17 when during the Revolutionary War and they're writing the, – he's like literally writing the Declaration of Independence when he was would have been a senior in high school now. That's crazy. I did not know that. That's yeah, wild. Like- those dudes were like all like 17, 18, 19. You look at 19-year-olds now, they're like – because they're in, like infant – what's it? Infantized? Whatever, infantilized, yeah. yeah infantilized, yeah. Like I totally butchered that word. <laughs> it's yeah, like your last name. Can't even yeah, pronounce it. Infantilized. So, yeah, they're infantilized so badly that they act like children, right? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Look, I'm a baby. My mom and dad treat me like a baby. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. Give them jobs. Let them go do cool shit. Give them space. And let them fuck up, but like you know, throw them some guardrails so they don't fuck yeah. up that badly. You know,
1: yeah, it, it's it's harder here in the states than it is in Europe. Like in Europe, you can say, "All right, you're 16. I know you saved your money for a train ticket, and your friends want to go skiing in Italy. Just be careful. Here's 400 euros that you know your Christmas and birthday present combined, and we know where your hotel is, and you're going to take a train there. And yes, you're going to be drinking and staying with girls, but like whatever. Yeah. Whereas in the United States. You tell a kid that he can go on a trip with his friends, and you're, you're like, you get a call at four o'clock in the morning from the police or the hospital, you know, and you're just like, you, you can't sleep at night. It's way too dangerous. Everything's far away. Europe, you don't have a ton of violent crime, a ton of gun crime. Yeah. Uh, Italy is a car ride away for the adult to go pick up their kids in an emergency. It's a train ride away for them. They don't have to drive. Drinking is legal, so they're not trying to buy beer in a back alley from a sketchy person with like, you know, cash. It's it's a totally different environment that's a lot safer for people that age to like kind of just make screw ups and go around and and yeah. and you know it doesn't result in like serious bodily harm most of the time.
0: Yeah, dude, the U.S. sucks. We better we got to change our shit. So, I think a lot of it stems from like Puritan like It does. Yeah. Know, it's like punishment and oh, you can't do anything bad. I'm like, "Listen, man, when I was in high school, people were drinking, they were fucking, they were doing all the same shit that you don't want them to do." And then I'll be around parents now and they're like, "Oh, my my son doesn't do anything." And I'm like, "Yeah, he does." I know yeah. he does. and if he doesn't, he's going to do way more worse shit later.
1: Yeah, but, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I it, like I'm I know there were parents that like, oh, well, we let our kids drink in the house. I'm like, eh, not super wise. Yeah. Not not because of your kid, but because of the other dumb yeah. kids who've yeah. never had a sip of alcohol in their life and the fact that you're going to get sued. But there is some sort of logic to this where I, I think the kids whose parents really let them run amok, those kids got messed up. But there were parents that knew how to give like enough space for the yeah. kid to do just enough to develop. But every sheltered kid that I know is is totally, totally oh. fucked.
0: Oh. Dude, yeah. I, I went to UC Santa Barbara for, I went to a couple of different schools, but I went to UC Davis. Then I, tra- I then I studied abroad a uh, semester at sea. And then I did. UC That's University. cool. Oh, it was amazing. Man. I was 20 and I went on a ship around the world with 600 college students, which is out of control. And I went, I was in Hong Kong in September of 98, which was actually when you were a senior in high school. Right. So that, yeah. and, and that was right when they turned it over and it was, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, I was running muck and it was fun. And there was kids when I got to Santa Barbara. Whose parents had babied them? Who went absolutely apeshit? Mm-hmm. I mean, like started doing hard drugs, drank like like you never have seen, and that and that was so. It was, it's a cliche, right? Mm-hmm. These sheltered kids get to college, and literally, it's like no off switch. Party their way, flunk out, go home. You know, and I'm like, those parents didn't prepare them for this. experience. No. those kids like literally couldn't function without the
1: super hard boundaries because they lived in a Look, we're talking about repressive societies. You see totalitarian regimes, their citizens don't like, like, look at Iraq. Okay. To get like dark for a second. When the, when the constraints come off, there's all kinds of craziness, like some of that sectarian violence, but a lot of it is when you have unchecked when when everything is hyper regimented and there's a lid on all this stuff and there's secret police and everything is punishable by corporal punishment or capital punishment. You don't really realize that underneath the surface, there's like, no one has any idea how to behave when there's not a secret police officer breathing down your neck and monitoring all your communication. right? Right. So, so when that lid comes off, it's not like, Hey, let's just do democracy, everyone. It's like, gang, militia, mafia, rival government faction, religious cults, religious sectarian violence, all that stuff just crops up because people just look to replace one set of guardrails that's one set of overly strong, overly controlling guardrails with another one. That's why you see a lot of these countries that were like hard, secular totalitarian regimes like Syria. And then it's like yeah. Hey, we're not doing that anymore. You know what we should do? Fucking ISIS. Yeah. Right? Because oh. people are like, they they need the the rules. They don't have any culture of, of like self policing.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's funny you're saying that. So I, I'm half Iranian, right? Half Persian. And uh, a lot a lot of what I had heard, and I haven't been because I, I actually have a passport. Funny enough. Wow. it's like a picture of me when I was one and a half because I moved there when I was one years old.
1: Also, is that good for much of anything? I mean, I guess if you get, like, if you get, if you're on a boat and it gets hijacked by terrorists, you're like, I'm Iranian, man.
0: Like, yeah, sure. Look,
1: then yeah. you can use that passport. This is me as a baby. But if you're anywhere else, that yeah. passport, sew that shit into the lining of your suitcase and ne- never show it to anyone.
0: It doesn't. It's not very helpful. No. Uh, But I have I have buddies who would go back there because they're they're Persian, their family's Persian, and they're like, yeah, we go. He's like, they're Darius. There's underground parties, tons of ecstasy. Mm -hmm. Like these people were, they're making boot like moonshine. (laughs) They're they're still doing it. Like that's why I'm like, why? Like I have major qualms about like the legal, the illegalization of substances. I'm like, I've never met a person in my whole life that wanted drugs that didn't go get them. I just Mm -hmm. have. Oh man, I, I I I wish I could get drugs, but oh, they're illegal. So I'm yeah, not, they're
1: illegal. Uh, Can't get them. Uh, uh, <laughs> no, Iran Iran's funky man. Like a, a lot of the Persians, Iranians that I know that listen to the podcast that still live in Iran, or people that have migrated, emigrated, uh, now live in the United States or Canada they're telling me all the time that there's like certain neighborhoods in Iran where it's like wealthy sort of elites live and they just do whatever they want. Not like, you know, crazy dictator do whatever they want, but like they have parties, like you said, there's EDM, there's DJs, we'll go and yeah. and do sets there and it's like there some of them are literally like basement nightclubs men and women dance together party together there's like you cool. know same same amount of orgies probably you'd find in any other major city yeah. but then everything else is like bearded ayatollah you know under wraps you
0: don't do shit uh,
1: and you don't do anything sort of in the public eye which which has to be really interesting but i mean you hear about people that in iran like they have like their Lambo that they drive around their area, and then they have like their Yugo that they used oh, wow. Yugo that they drive around everywhere else because you yeah. don't really want to stick out yeah. when you're driving outside of like northeast Tehran or wherever they live.
0: So, dude, it, it's it's wild. I I actually own a condo in Iran from when my really? yeah yeah well I moved there. <laughs> so I was born at my mom's American. My dad was Persian. They met in America. My dad was getting his MBA in Southern California. They then moved to Iran to Tehran. My family's from Esfahan, and but they lived in Tehran. And then my mom was – I have a twin brother. My mom was having complications with her her pregnancy, comes back to the U.S. She's American, has me and my brother. When we're one years old, in June of 79, we move back to Iran. Dude, June – Terrible July, time. August, <laughs> September, October, November. Yeah. Dude, movie, wow. Argo. movie Argo happens like down the block from my house. Yeah, sure, right? sure. So we flee the country and we move back to the United States. So, I, uh, dude, if they didn't – that shit didn't happen – I would be inviting you to my Persian live stream and I would be speaking Farsi with a bad English accent. Like Yeah, that, that, that's what should have happened. Right. But, but the, you know, his life. So yeah. Hey, how did you get out? How did your family get out? They fled. They fled. Um, it was like really sketchy. It's actually a really crazy story. So they fled. It was super sketchy. My dad and mom got stuck in London with me and my baby brought, we're like one and a half. They, they end up getting in the United States. My dad goes back by himself why well because he had all this all his assets and stuff he was trying to get out of the country oh man 18 months right this is from like the beginning of 1980 till like the middle of 81 he's like selling like money on the black market and swapping shit and then and then basically smuggling money out of the country to get to the united states so he could build his life in the united states he gets stuck in paris and they wouldn't let him back in the united states because of what was going on in iran my mom has to get a congressman involved and it takes like a month to get him back in the United States. So it was like a 3-year ordeal almost. Dude, that is those stories are also
1: crazy, man. It's yeah. all, all the people who fled Iran always like th- th- it's always like, "Yeah, we rode a camel for 5 days."
0: Yeah. And I'm like, "Yeah, right." And then she's like, "No, no, really. I rode yeah. a camel for 5 days like yeah. across like, the desert, across like the mountains to get into Iraq or like yeah. other country to get
1: into a yeah to get into iraq but probably not iraq because you know landmines and killing what what, to get into Is it what borders is it azerbaijan or something like that is that
0: a border country I i think it is on the east or north. Yeah.
1: So, like, getting through there, uh, going to apply for refugee status. Right. You know, ending up in France for five years, then moving to the United States. Or it's just such a mess. That whole thing is insane to me.
0: It's a totally gnarly story, and so my dad ends up coming United States MBA. The guy was like head of director of sales for the entire your East Asia and Europe uh, and uh, East Asia and the Middle East for Mack Truck. And then he ends up like, dude, the guy's super educated. Has to go start a gas station business,
1: right? Yeah, that's I, I've definitely. That's like a story of many, many a Persian or many an immigrant. Right. You know, you'll you'll come to the United States. I talk I talk a lot to gas station attendants. I don't see anymore because I have an electric car. But like back in the day, I would, <laughs> or like when I would take you know the super shuttle before Uber was a thing. Right. And I remember talking with like. Uh, a guy at a gas station who ran an IT company and out of Bangladesh and then moved here and sold it. And he had a PhD in computer science and he was like running a freaking gas station in West Bloomfield. Um, And then uh, my super shuttle driver was a he was a surgeon, a chief surgeon at a hospital in Mexico. Now he was a super shuttle driver. Yeah. Another one was a Supreme court justice in Mexico at one point, or, or like his brother was, and he, like he came here cause he was like some sort of junior federal judge of sorts in Mexico came here because of corruption. Um, and things like that, that are just sort of like, depressing in a way like New York's full of this too you'll be talking to the yeah. cab driver and you find out that the guy who's driving you around is like the uh chief of the biology department of a university and you're just like what you're you like, were a tenured professor in yeah. Iran and now you're a cab driver it's so it's so depressing
0: well and right i mean i grew up watching it my i mean my dad actually ended up doing okay from a business perspective yeah. but i mean i wrote a book called the core value equation uh, because my i watched a person like basically hate their life and did not live an engaged life through because of this thing that was taken away from them. Right. Yeah. And that, that ended up becoming a big part of my entrepreneurial journey and watching that immigrant story. And it's funny because I, I think if you're born and raised in the United States, it's, 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 a, and I'm half American. So I saw like this, the duality of you're
1: hundred a- percent American, <laughs> you're half white or something probably yeah, half
0: white, hundred yeah. percent American, but half Persian. Right. Uh, and so just to see that experience, and it's it's really an interesting experience to see that firsthand. And, and, and now I watch it, I'll see people and I'll, same thing as you, I'll ask them, oh, where are you from? They'll tell me, and I'm like, oh, what'd you do there? Oh, I was, you know, a doctor or this or that. Yeah. And I'm, like, I'm like, dude, you're, the struggle is real, real brother, you know? Yeah.
1: Overqualified. Yeah. But the, the, and nothing. And look, there's a lot of immigrants that come from places that are not undergoing a revolution. But to lose everything in a revolution is even just so much more traumatic somehow because it happens like virtually,
0: you know, overnight. Totally. Well, dude, I want like we we just got started, um, I man. Know. I was I was looking at your profile. And I'm like, you've done 468 shows for your for your new show, the, the the Jordan Harbinger Show. And I and I picked some of my favorite people that have been on the show. I just want to like tell you, who. McConaughey, Steven Schwartzman, CEO of Blackstone, Seth Godin, Russell Brand, Oliver Stone, Ray freaking Dalio, who I fucking mm. love. Bob Sackett, who I love, Bill Nye, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Tony Hawk, Simon Sinek, Dennis Robin, Ma- Malcolm Gladwell, Kobe Bryant, Moby, and Chris Voss, dude. Those are just like – I just cherry-picked my favorites. I want to ask you a question. So yeah. if you had to start over today, like today's like like you, you quit your lawyer job. It's 2001, 2021. Sorry, not 2001, 20 years later, 2021.
1: Oh, okay. I was like, geez, I don't what, what technology was available.
0: Yeah. And you're, and you're, and, and the environment is as it is right now. Like, can you actually recreate what you have? Like you're at ground zero today to go build what you have. How would you do that?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of those not so interesting answers probably because the answer is really you throw money at the problem, right? So, right. F- well, first of all, it, do I have my skill set of interviewing or do I have to rebuild that? Uh, you have your.
0: This is like okay. undercover billionaire where you have okay. skill set, but you're. It's like your undercover podcaster. Got you know? it. So you're starting yeah. at ground zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So, so because building the skill sets what takes a really long time, but building the show was a matter of go on as many podcasts as possible so that people know where I am, what I'm doing, what I'm interviewing. You know, the mission of the Jordan Harbinger Show, all, all the things we're discussing, and then it's buy a crap ton of placements, ads, things like that to grow and any sort of digital footprint. But honestly, I've gotten just as much, if not more of an audience by going on other people's shows. And then they're like, Hey, this guy's kind of interesting. I wonder what the Jordan Harbinger show is like. They, that's the best form of advertising. And then paying for advertising works also. So if you can't spend $400,000 a year, or half a million dollars a year, whatever it is on ads, don't worry. You can... Build your show by going on other shows. I mean, that's that's how most people build their shows, anyways. Um, so it's not magic, and and like a lot of people think that building a business is, is some sort of magical yeah. um, journey. And in a way, it is. But really, once you get product market fit, it's about getting getting people to freaking realize that it exists, and then and then you're
0: you know you're halfway there. What do you? So let me ask you a question about that. So I mean, I, I'm I'm going on a bunch of shows right now. And I kind of got to the point with my assistants where I'm like, look, unless they have like a decent following, I'm I'm, yeah. I'm over it. Like, like, yeah. like it's time consuming. I'm really busy, and 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 I don't. I'm trying to figure out what the hell I'm getting out of it, right? Like, like, so again, it's ground zero. Like, what? Like, how do you? Like, you don't have like the you know the the card to say, hey, I want to get on some badass show, you know? Like, how do you? How how would you navigate that part of it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would go on. I, what I did when I've started again. Cause I had another show before this one that I ran for 11 years and I had like 700 episodes of, yeah. and then I had a split with my business partners over like the direction of the business. And I ended up just like starting fresh. I, I always joke that I got fired cause I technically did, but it was, it's one of those things where I'm like, cool, you're firing me, except I'm taking all the staff, the whole audience of the show and a bunch yeah. of the resources with me. So who got fired? Um, but that sort of, triggered me into like, okay, I need to rebuild the audience. And so what I did is I went on like 140 shows in like eight months or 10 months or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of shows, man. But I, the, I didn't care what size they were. Cause if I got 50 new listeners, five, five new listeners, that's not ideal, but I went on a bunch and I sort of rebuilt the snowball. Mm-hmm. Um, that way. Like, and, and then people were like, Oh, okay. This guy who I used to like over here is now over here. Right. And that, that helped a lot, you know, but if, if you don't, if you don't have any footprint, then it's going to be different than, Oh, this host that I like is over in this new place. You know, right. that's different than like brand new personality. So that's why it's a slow burn, but going on a bunch of shows, but like you said, don't go on shows that have four people Yeah. watching. Cause it's painful. It's, it's painful. You know. It's almost
0: as painful as when I sing karaoke with less charming. Right. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, I went on a show and it, I've been on a couple shows where I, and some of them was fucked up as I hired a PR firm to get me on shows. Oh, yeah. i on a couple of these shows and I'm like, it was like the guy had no lighting. It was like they had like a, it was almost like a drape behind them. They were like their grandmother's kitten uh, basement and I'm like what the fuck is this I I, I thought it was like you know like the the guy that put the lotion in the basket
1: yeah it was like
0: (laughs) that type of shit I was like um is this guy gonna fucking kill me through the screen
1: yeah yeah there's a lot of guys that do like the show in the basement and the the PR firms are like look I'm sure they're great at what they do in a lot of ways but they really don't know anything about podcasting most of the time so whenever I get pitches from PR firms I'm always usually underwhelmed because I get a three page press release with a photo of the book. And I'm like, you know, you don't know anything about my show, but then I'll get a three line email from someone that's like, Hey, Jordan checked out your episode with Ray Dalio. You'd probably really like this other person. Here's the story. Let me know if you want to know more. And I'm like, Tell me more, you know, and that's how you get in. Don't send me a three pager with a photograph of a book. I know what a book looks like. I don't don't give a shit what your particular book looks like. You know, and I don't care that you were on Good Morning America. It doesn't make it those they will have anyone on there that like is in the right area and looks nice at uh, the day of to some producer who's never done anything interesting in their whole life. Like I don't care about any of that. So in PR firms that's all the currency they have. They've have no clue. Yeah. There's nobody you can bu- no nobody you can pay has access to great shows. You always have to pitch them. There are some good podcasting agencies where they know a lot of podcasters and like right. I'll answer their email cuz they don't pitch me like garbage. But it's certainly not a major Uh, publicity agency like they're they're just mailing releases to everybody that that blogs and and it has television or anything they're not targeted at all
0: so I, it, yeah, I, I made that mistake. Actually, they pitched you my, for me, and and, that, and I was like, oh, and, and at the same day, John Roman was like, yeah, I, I know Jordan. And I'm like, oh, that's cool, like random, right? I like I I had heard of your show, but in, within 48 hours, Roman and I are on a walk, and he's like, yeah, my buddy Jordan Harbinger, and that's my cool. agency was like, oh, we just pitched Jordan Harbinger, and and then I got on the the guy the lotion and the basket show guy instead. So it was awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah. It puts the lotion in the basket, or it gets the hose again. <laughs> Um, so man, you, you have the show. Um, you're you're kicking ass and taking names. It's really cool to watch like the lineup of people. I mean, I mean, what is it like? Like, like we're talking again, the show's the greatness machine, and, and you're definitely living your passions to create greatness in the world. And I look at this lineup, I mean, tell me, like, what's like your the biggest takeaway you get of interviewing like such world-class brains like that? Like, like
1: Yeah, I mean, it's cool to learn from folks like that but honestly I find that a lot of people who are are well I guess it's a difference if you have like a celebrity on sometimes it's really great like a Matthew McConaughey or a Kobe Bryant but sometimes and I won't mention who but sometimes you're just like eh I'm talking to a famous person and they they don't give a shit you know right it's rare because we try and screen for that but usually it's I would say like the less famous people that are still super well uh, rounded and like super successful, like look, Ray Dalio is well known, but he's not an A-list celebrity where he can't walk around without getting mobbed. You know, he's not Matthew McConaughey. Those are more interesting because of the amazing amounts of deep thinking that go into something, Steve Schwartzman, like you mentioned, CEO Blackstone, like
0: yeah. these
1: are guys that sit around and think about how to spend billions of, or invest billions and billions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars. Right. That's a different game than talking to somebody like who's a mid-level athlete that you might've heard of where they're like, yeah, you know, just got to put my best foot forward every time and miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Know what I mean? And I'm like, eh, no one's getting a whole lot out of this. Yeah. It's kind of, <laughs> Wow, you
0: just blew nobody's mind, dude. Nobody's
1: mind. And also, like, I know we're all impressed that you're a NBA starter for the, I don't know, Houston Rockets or what. Like, just no one, there's nothing sort of mind blowing about that. And I notice a lot of podcasters, they make like this right turn where they're like, wait, if I stand next to a lot of celebrities, I'll become a celebrity. And I had to go make a left turn and go, I don't care about being a celebrity. I want my listeners to have a really good experience. And the way that they're gonna do that is if I work really hard and find the best guests. So I'll have like a mafia enforcer. I'll have uh, you know a guy who invented poisons and bombs for Al Qaeda and then became a counter-terrorism agent. Uh, I'll have a forger. Then I'll have Kobe Bryant, Matthew McConaughey, and these guys sure. on. But I see other podcast people go like, oh, how do you get them? There's no competition for a lot of these guys because other podcasters are like, oh, uh, such and such influencers launching a new skincare line. I'm going to have her come on. Oh, Paris Hilton's on the show. Like, I mean, and I say her because she's made even be mildly interesting. Imagine like Wish Paris Hilton or like discount Walmart Paris Hilton. They're interviewing those people and there's just nothing interesting at all about anything that they're doing.
0: G- getting people belief? to freaking realize no, yeah. that it exists <laughs> and, then, and then and then your you're, listener you know, doesn't learn
1: happy. anything cuz the whole thing's like a self-serving sort of influencer circle jerk and it's it's not it's it's a waste of time
0: yeah it it well You got to have Ray Dalio back on when he, when his new book, Changing World Order. I just,
1: I just recorded the new one uh, yesterday. It's going to come out in like a month.
0: Oh, I love that book. I just, I've been reading it for about two months now because they they have the PDFs online. I ordered it and uh, that guy, Ray Dalio, Ray Dalio's God, man. That guy's so genius. It's so smart. I mean, it's really sad about his son just passing away, but Mm -hmm. man, yeah, that guy, (sighs) I love him. I, I, when I, when I saw you interviewed him, I'm like, oh. I, that's one of them. I want to interview him. Um, well, man, like we, we're, we're going to get wrapped up here. Uh, obviously people can find you at the Jordan Har, or Jordan Harbinger.com. They can get you on all the major uh, platforms, anything else you want to share for the audience on things that are coming up or places they can find you or anything you want to promote.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter, Instagram. I answer my DMS cause a lot of people are like, Oh, what about this? I love being in touch with folks. The Jordan Harbinger show is the name of the podcast. And I, I would love for people to check that out. That's always the best, you know, people will say, what about this person? What about that person? Just check out the episode with them. Um, and, you know, I, I really just want people to listen to what I create. I don't sell anything. And I always like to highlight that because I, I think there's just so many, like, influencers that are like, buy my course on this. I don't sell anything. I have one course and it's free. So I, I just love if people would check out the Jordan Harbinger show.
0: That's my only ask. Yeah, guys, let's do it. Let's support Jordan. What an amazing, amazing show, man. I'm so grateful to have you on here, man. This was really fun. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, this is so cool. Guys, check out all the stuff Jordan just mentioned. We're going to put that in the show notes. Uh, tomorrow, man, what I haven't done three shows in a while since the book launch. We got uh, Dr. Hobie Wedler. And he's a scientist, entrepreneur, and sensory expert, born blind, just doing amazing stuff in the organic chemistry world, champion of change, uh, by Barack, recognized by Barack Obama. I'm really pumped to have him on here. With that said, guys, we're going to peace out. Check out, check me out. Sign up for the show at www.therealdarius.com. Peace. We're out of here, guys. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Guys, The Greatness Machine is all about two things people who are living their passions and those who are creating greatness in the world. And we feature these messages and speakers so it can help you step into your greatness within your own life and your own business. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from and leave us a review. We love getting reviews for the show. If the episode made you think of someone who is leveling up in their business and life, print screen it, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to learn from one another. You can also go to our website, www.thegreatnessmachine.com. That's www.thegreatnessmachine.com. And on there, you'll see special tools to help you scale your business faster, show notes for the episode to help you integrate the lessons, and you will also get links that came out during the show. So on there, look, you can also grab a copy of my book, The Core Value Equation, which is a resource for helping CEOs and business leaders establish core values from their teams that don't suck. And mind you, a lot of them suck get access to this and more at www.thegreatnessmachine.com. With that said, you guys, look, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. we out of here. See you guys next time. Uh
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media,